comeback and hoping that the selectors on the evidence of the Indian tour would give me one last chance. So when I produced the goods in the traditional opening fixture of the Australian tour for the Duchess of Norfolk's Eleven at Arundel in May, I felt confident that the message must get through, particularly as one of my victims was Alan Border, the Australian captain and my mate and rival. In addition, Ted Dexter, the chairman of the selectors, was there to see what I could still do. I had been keyed up for the match. The night before, all the talk was of producing a vintage performance to stake my claim to the all-rounder's position. There was enormous interest in the match, as there always is when the Aussies are in town, and I like to think that many of the 16,000 capacity crowd were there to see me put on a show against the old enemy. Certainly the seriousness with which the Australians approached the match was not in doubt. When I was hit for four in my first over, some visiting Antipodean shouted out, It's 93 now, mate, not 81. I had the greatest delight in silencing him a few minutes later when I removed Damien Martin. However, unbeknown to me, Dexter was in the process of pulling the rug from under me. When I heard of the content of the radio interview he had given after I had bowled that day, I hit the roof. I was in the bar relaxing after the match when a couple of journalists told me what had happened. Apparently Dexter had been asked what he thought of my bowling. Are the Australians trying to play him into the side, he muttered, as if the Aussies were trying to con the selectors into picking me by throwing their wickets away. Anyone who knows the slightest thing about them also knows that getting out to me is the last thing an Aussie wants to do, especially Border. The ball that bowled him at Arundel went through the gate between bat and pad as he tried to push it through the offside. That was a weakness of Border's which I had probed successfully in the World Cup match in Sydney, where I managed to take four wickets in seven deliveries without conceding a run, scored 53 and the Australians lost their chance of qualifying for the final stages. Wisden wrote, The combination of the old enemy, the bright lights, and the noisily enthusiastic crowd demanded a showstopper from Botham, and he provided it. I shouldn't be surprised if Dexter thought Border gave me his wicket that night as well. Now I worked myself up into such a fury that I demanded an apology from Dexter. Two days later the phone rang at home. It was Ted. He mumbled something about what he had said being a throwaway line, which he had come up with because he wanted to avoid the interview being all about Ian Botham. It didn't wash. After all, I'd just bowled the Australian captain, and the first thing any interviewer was going to ask him about was my England prospects. Dexter went on to offer, by way of bizarre justification. You're the master of the one-liner, Ian. Look at what you said about Pakistan being the kind of place you would send your mother-in-law to for a paid holiday. Yes, Ted, I replied, and the board fined me a thousand pounds for that one. In the end, he did apologise, and that was all I wanted. What did amaze me was that the TCCB let the whole sorry episode rest without further comment. If it had been a player who had opened his mouth and said what Dexter had done, there would have been an almighty stink. But that was the end of the incident, and of my hopes for a final season of Test cricket. In his prime, Ted Dexter was a brilliant all-round sportsman. He has also always been considered an oddball. People who played under him as captain often said that he would wander about in a world of his own, and he was renowned for reacting to moments of high pressure by practising golf swings in the slips. As far as I was concerned, however, he crossed the line between eccentricity and idiocy far too often for someone who was supposed to be running English cricket. Ted retired from the game long before I had started, so the first time he made any real impression on me was as a television commentator. But it was in the summer of 1989 that I had my first brush with the wackier side of Ted. He had just become chairman of the English committee with promises of a more professional approach for English cricket after years in the doldrums. We had arrived in Birmingham for the third test against Australia, 
and were due to meet in the hotel conference room for the customary pre-match meal and tactical team talk. Although those who have played test cricket with me will tell you that my input was normally minimal and usually confined to, he can't bat, I'll bounce him out, it's true that what is discussed in these meetings can make the difference between winning and losing. This time, however, Ted turned it into a night out at Butlin's. As we filed in, Ted was handing out song sheets. I couldn't believe my eyes. There, in black and white, was the score to the hymn Onward Christian Soldiers, while underneath Ted's own version, entitled Onward Gowers Cricketers. Onward Gowers Cricketers, striving for a score. With our bats uplifted, we want more and more. Alderman the master represents the foe. Forward into battle, down the pitch we go. Onward Gowers Cricketers, striving for a score. Don't despair too early, the lion soon will roar. Onward and onward it went. Right, said Ted. Now look, lads, when you get in the...